In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. There was a guy at church a couple of decades ago who got fixated on something that is called eternal security. This is the idea that you cannot lose your salvation. He invited me to lunch and peppered me with Bible passages to prove his case. On the other end of the spectrum, there is an idea called universalism. This is the idea that everyone will ultimately be saved. For this camp, you can't lose your salvation because you never needed it in the first place. In light of today's gospel, these perspectives remind me of a quote from a former deacon at St. Matthew's. In Bible study, he would remark, it's amazing how much light the Bible sheds on the commentaries. For if you cannot lose your salvation, or if everyone will ultimately be saved, what are we to make of the man in the gospel without a wedding garment? As Jesus tells the story in his own words, the king said to the servant, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This fellow thought he was in, seemed to think he was secure, but found out at the last moment that his insurance policy had lapsed. And outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth don't sound very much like universal salvation. Today's parable of the wedding feast at the end of Trinity season complements a parable, a similar but slightly different parable that we heard at the beginning of Trinity season. The parable of the Great Supper was the gospel for the second Sunday after Trinity. In that parable, a man invited guests to a dinner he was preparing. However, when the dinner was ready and he summoned the guests, they all made excuses as to why they could not come. So the man uninvited them all and sent out new invitations to those in the streets and lanes of the city and to those in the highways and hedges. The invited guests in that parable represent the leaders of Israel who refused to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. <clears throat> the streets and lanes and highways and hedges represent the non-observant Jews and the Gentiles to whom the gospel was proclaimed first by Jesus and then by the apostolic church. That early Trinity parable ends with an open-ended gospel invitation. Today's parable of the wedding feast extends the end of the story. The guests who've been invited from the highways and hedges are all present and ready. But when the king comes in to survey them, he finds one guest who was not dressed for the occasion. And it seems to be a pretty serious fashion error. The interpretation of this parable hinges on the meaning of the wedding garment. And there is a connection between the wedding garment and the biblical use of clothing imagery to describe baptism and the Christian vocation. For example, last week's epistle from Ephesians <clears throat> exhorted us to put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which was created 
according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Here, confession, the experience of forgiveness, and the practicing of new behavior is described as changing clothes. This suggests that the man without a wedding garment was not practicing that life of prayer that cultivated a kind of interior transformation. He was just coming to church and going through the motions of faith. There's another clothing connection in Revelation 7. An angel describes the redeemed to St. John by saying, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Here, rather than putting on a new clean garment, the redeemed have washed the garment they're wearing, strangely making them white by washing them in blood. However, the point is the same. The elect of God have experienced moral and spiritual transformation. They've been changed. Another passage that has an even closer connection to the gospel is Revelation 19, verses 17 and 18, which says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Here, the saints wear their good works as a sort of outward and visible sign of the interior transformation. This clothing imagery can be best understood in relational terms. We are changing our clothes or washing our dirty garments and practicing new behavior because we have come into a new relationship with God in Christ that has changed us. We have received God's word by faith. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this leads us to a new experience, a changing experience of confession and forgiveness and the power to live in a new way. Relationships also present the opposite temptation over time. Love can grow cold. We go through the outward motions of affection and devotion while inwardly harboring resentment or anger. Waning affection can be fueled by a number of things. We become upset about things that have happened to us and thus become subtly disappointed with God. We become distracted by things in the world and come to see God as a barrier to getting the things we really want. Or we just wane in our zeal due to a neglect of duty and sort of weakness of the will. The man who liked to quote Bible verses to prove you couldn't lose your salvation highlights another danger. Faith can come to reside in our minds, but not in our hearts. Faith can become an idea rather than the means of a living relationship. This distinction can be illustrated this way. Will we feel more secure 
in our relationship with God if we find Bible verses to prove we are saved? Or will we feel more secure in our relationship with God if we grow in our prayer, in our hearing of God's word, and develop a deeper connection with God in Christ through the Spirit? This can be illustrated by other relationships as well. Will we be more secure in marriage if we constantly remind our spouse that he or she promised to be faithful to death? Or will we be more secure in our marriage if we make a real effort to listen and respond to what our spouse is saying and work on cultivating relational intimacy? The resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come is described in relational terms as the consummation of a marriage, not as an eternal lecture hall. In the flow of the year, the late Trinity season can be a time of spiritual drift. This is why the late Trinity season gives us a parable of warning and also an epistle that exhorts us saying, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Affections naturally wane. It happens to everybody, and therefore they need to be periodically rekindled. The more we drift away from a close relationship with God, the more we lose our experience of God's joy and peace and are overcome by the fear and anxiety that is surrounding us in the world. Sometimes our main relational challenge in the life of faith is not to search for some hidden sin to confess. Sometimes we just need to recapture our joy and our peace in Christ. We need to remember that Jesus is Lord, that our sins are forgiven, that all things work together for good for those who love God, and that we should be really joyful about this. As Jubilate says, O be joyful in the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with a song. Thus our epistle exhorts us, saying, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.